So, have you seen any amusing Christian bumper stickers lately? I'm not a bumper sticker kind of guy. I have no bumper stickers on my vehicle. But uh, I have seen a few bumper stickers lately that caught my attention. For example, take a look at this one. Oh, you probably can't see it, right? So let's get a little closer. Do you follow Jesus this close? Clever. Sort of a double message in one, right? Here's another one that caught my eye. Honk if you love Jesus. Text if you really want to see him. <laughs> And then, of course, when you drive the way I do, you'd better believe in God. <clears throat> Some of you need that bumper sticker. Here's one of my personal favorites. Jesus would let me merge. <laughs> I'm tempted to put that on the back of my vehicle. And then there are the, uh, shall we say, the more snotty Christian bumper stickers. For example, half-baked Christians finish cooking in hell. <laughs> All right. As church lady would say, well, isn't that special? <laughs> and then there are the bumper stickers that respond to the snobbish Christian bumper stickers. For example, I've got nothing against God. It's his fan club I can't stand kind of cuts to the heart of what's wrong with so much of modern American Christianity, right? Superior, smug, kind of reminds me of Dallas Cowboys football fans. It's not the Dallas Cowboys that I hate, it's their fans. Snobby, smug, any Dallas Cowboys fans here today? <laughs> oh, too bad. We were going to do an altar call at the end of service and give you a chance to repent. I suppose as an inclusive church, we've got to say, all right, even Dallas Cowboys fans are welcome in this place. But I digress. The granddaddy of all Christian bumper stickers, the one you've probably seen more than any other in your life, is the old faithful that simply proclaims, born-again Christian. Now, many of us, when we hear that phrase, kind of want to push away from it because it's become so associated with so much baggage from modern American evangelical Christianity so that many of us would be reluctant to label ourselves born-again Christians for fear that all the other baggage that has come to be associated with that would be associated with us. But today, I want to invite us to try to set that baggage aside, step back, travel back in time 2,000 years, and have a thoughtful discussion about what Jesus meant when he first coined that term. When Jesus said, you must be born again. What was he trying to teach us? What was his point? This is the first installment in a four-part sermon series that I'm calling New Life in Christ. We're going to wrestle with what is this new thing, this new form of life that Jesus calls us 
two. Will somebody step outside the door and ask David to keep his voice down? Since that's my spouse, I can say, shh. <laughs> Let's start with a prayer. Hey, India. God. Let me ask you a quick question. Once again today, we take you can stay there, a seat in. at the feet of Jesus. Ready to listen. Ready to, to explore, to grapple with what Jesus meant. What he was trying to teach us. When he described the, the kind of life he wants for us. As laid out in John chapter 3. Speak, Lord. We're listening. Enlighten us today. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the scripture passage that you just heard Dewana read from John chapter 3 tells us that there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who made his way to Jesus by night. Now, Pharisees are defined as an ancient Jewish sect distinguished by strict observance of the written Mosaic law and commonly held to have pretensions to superior sanctity. So you see, this Nicodemus was a very religious guy. He was somebody who was striving with every fiber of his being to keep all of the details of the commandments of the law of Moses to the nth degree. But somehow it seems Nicodemus sensed in his soul that all of his religiosity was still missing something critical. And he felt strangely drawn, apparently, to this Jesus who was preaching, teaching a very different approach to faith. Jesus was preaching and teaching that if you are a child of God, you're not bound by a whole bunch of laws. You are called to follow the Spirit in accordance with the highest spiritual values. And Nicodemus was wrestling with that and apparently thinking, maybe Jesus has the answer to what's missing in me. But Nicodemus knew that if his fellow Pharisees saw him consulting with Jesus, he would have been ostracized. So under cover of darkness, he comes to Jesus and in John 3, 2, says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, but Jesus quickly dispenses with the small talk and cuts right to the heart of what was missing for Nicodemus, right to the heart of what Nicodemus needed to hear. Jesus says, verse 3, Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now remember, when Jesus uses that term, kingdom of God, he's referring to any place past, present, or future, where God reigns. Heaven is the ultimate example of where God reigns, but your heart can also be a kingdom of God if you allow God to reign there. Your home, family, can be a kingdom of God. Your church, a community, even theoretically your workplace could be a kingdom of God if God were allowed to to reign there. So what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here is, truly I tell you, no one can live in the fullness of God in this life or the next unless they are born again. Now Nicodemus coming from the Pharisee sect was used to a very 
literal approach to spiritual things. And so when he hears Jesus saying this, he interprets it literally, which confuses him greatly. He fails to appreciate that Jesus is using a brilliant spiritual metaphor to try to communicate with him when he says, be born again. But Nicodemus, with his wooden literalism, says to Jesus, how can anyone be born after growing old? Can a person enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born? And that's when Jesus explains to Nicodemus and to all of us what he meant when he said, you must be born again. Verse 5, Jesus answered Nicodemus, very truly I tell you, no one can enter into the fullness of life in God, now or in the future, without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. So what Jesus is telling us here is that to be fully alive in God, there are two birth experiences each of us needs. First, what is flesh is flesh. We are born in the flesh. When your mo mother's water broke, you were born of water, so to speak. You became a physical, you were physically born. You became a, 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 a creature made of matter and biological elements. But, Jesus says, there's also a second birth that each of us needs to experience. We need to be born in the Spirit, born of the Spirit. That is what Jesus calls the second birth. It's almost as if when we are first physically born, we are we're only half alive. If we want to be fully alive, if we want to realize the fullness and the abundance of life that God wants for us, we have to experience that second birth. Do you want to be fully alive? The difference the difference between being half alive and fully alive is kind of like the difference between seeing a two-dimensional photograph of someone versus encountering that someone in real life in three dimensions. For example, I could tell you about my puppy dog, our puppy dog named Lucky, by showing you a picture of Lucky. Isn't he cute? He's a little Shetland Sheltie. And when you see this picture of Lucky Dog, you, you know, you start to get a sense of who he is, of who he might be. But there's only so much you can gain from a, a two-dimensional flat picture. If you really want to know Lucky in his fullness, you need to meet him in person in three dimensions. So David, bring Lucky in, if you would. Come on, lucky boy. Come here, lucky boy. Come here. I think he's a little bit overwhelmed. Come here, baby. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, you, come on. He's, he's 15. I'll lift him up for you, Levi. He's 15 years old, so he's a little slow. He looks like a puppy, but he's a grandpa. Oh, a well-fed grandpa. 
Lucky was rescued by David's dad from the Sheltie Rescue League and had a wonderful home there. When David's dad got so sick and moved in with us, Lucky moved in with us. When David's dad passed, we inherited this little guy. And he, so he's been rescued twice. He's aptly named Lucky, right? And let me tell you, when he came into our house, he hit the puppy dog jackpot. He won the puppy lottery. Uh, Duty Van Arsdale, one of our congregants, once said to me, she said, Jeff, when I die, I want to be reincarnated as one of your dogs. <laughs> He's a little bit spoiled and a little bit overwhelmed. But now that you see him in three dimensions, you can take him now, David. Now that you're seeing him in three dimensions, you have a much more vivid, deep, rich sense of the reality that is Lucky the dog. It's the same thing when we're talking about life in the flesh and life in the spirit. When we're physically born, yes, we're alive, but kind of half alive, a flat, two-dimensional existence. If we want to experience life in 3D, the fullness of the life that God wants for us, at some point on our journey, we have to have a spiritual awakening. Because you see, you're not just a body, you're a soul. You're not just a material creature, you are a spirit being. And there is within each of us a, a spirit, a, a spiritual dimension that is just waiting to be discovered and to be activated. And when that happens, it's like being reborn. It's like, wow, I never knew life could be like this multi-dimensional life. Michael Quick tells how when he was a kid, 10 years old, for his 10th birthday, his parents announced that they were going to take him on a birthday adventure, and for that adventure, he would have to be blindfolded. Now, when you're 10 years old and you're going on a blindfold adventure, that's exciting stuff, right? So he's all blindfolded. His mother, father, little brother lead him out of the house into their vehicle. They go for a short drive, and then they lead him out of the vehicle, still blindfolded, and up a flight of stairs. He said, I could sense that we were still outdoors, but then another flight of stairs, another flight. So... He says, I, I sensed even when I was blindfolded that we were outdoors and they were leading me up some kind of a tall tower. Then, finally, they get to the top. And in his own words, Michael explains it this way. I could feel the sun and breeze on my face. That's when my father and mother took the blindfold off. And I was stunned at the sight before me. I was at the top of Cabot Tower in Bristol, England. The city lay below. The river danced beneath. Countryside rolled beyond, and the sea glinted in the distance. It was the most dazzling and brilliant thing I had ever experienced. Reflecting back now on that moment, I'm fairly sure it was the first time in my life that I truly experienced being alive. Up until then, I had little awareness of being in a world full of beauty, trust, love, and joy. 
But right then, I saw for the first time the big picture. Everything was good in the deep places of my body, mind, and spirit. Astonishingly good. And as I've grown older, I've had a few other experiences like that. And definitely the best times have been in worship when I've known, joining with others, that I belong to God in the depths of beauty, trust, love, and joy. You see what was happening there? At a young age, Michael Quick was having a spiritual experience, the beginning of a spiritual awakening. Psalm 19.1 puts it this way, the heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech. Creation is constantly telling us about God. And night to night declares knowledge of God. Their voice goes throughout all the earth when we encounter the beauty of creation, the handiwork of God. There's a spiritual spark, an intuitive rec recognition reflex inside of us that says, God is here. God is with us. God is beautiful. God is integral to life, and I want to know this God. And, and when that happens, something deep inside of us, our spirit begins to stir and awaken. Something new is being born in us. Now, spiritual awakenings happen in all kinds of different ways. For Michael Quick, that spiritual awakening began on a tall tower looking at the beauty of creation and his recognition that God was here with us all around in amazing and dazzling ways. But for others, it can be under completely different circumstances that they have their awakening. Albert Sample had a rough life. His mother, commonly known in their town as Big Emma, was a prostitute gambler and bootlegger in a small Texas town. His father was a traveling salesman who hooked up with Big Emma passing through. When Big Emma got drunk, Albert says, she was brutal. So at age 11, Albert fled, ran away from home. This is in the 1930s. He ended up being a hobo on the, on the train tracks, riding trains, as many homeless men did back then. And, and to survive in that lifestyle, you had to constantly be ready to fight, protect yourself. And so Albert learned well how to be a violent person, living in the jungle, dog-eat-dog -dog world. Ultimately, Albert was drafted into the army, but even the army couldn't tame him. He kept going AWOL. At one point when he was AWOL, he got into a fight and nearly beat a man to death. He got arrested, convicted, sentenced to 28 years, and sent away to the toughest prison in Texas at the time. There in prison, the ethic he had learned was reinforced. If you treat people like animals, they'll act like animals eventually. And and this was a very animal-like existence in prison. Seventeen years into that experience, he, he broke one of the rules in the prison, and there was, of course, no mercy, so he was thrown into solitary confinement, literally put in a dungeon, a basement dungeon, with zero light, complete darkness. Two weeks into that solitary confinement, 
Albert, in his autobiography, describes how he had reached his breaking point. He, he thought he was hearing water trickling down the walls of his dungeon cell, and, and he had a panic attack as he envisioned what would happen to him if that dungeon filled up with water and he was drowned to death. And in that moment, he says, I fell down onto the stone floor and I began to beat the concrete with my fists and, and from some primitive place inside of me shouted, Help me, somebody help me. And it's then, he says, that for him, it happened. He says, I heard a voice, an audible voice, that said, Albert, you are not an animal, you are a person. You're not an animal, you're a person. And Albert says, as I was kneeling there on the floor, there was this warm, soft light that completely enveloped me. And over the next 30 seconds, all of the violence in me drained out. I felt peace. And I felt a presence. Albert says, I said to the voice, what should I tell people happened to me here? And the voice said, tell them you met me here. For some people, it happens when they're on top of the world and looking down on creation from a tall tower. For others, it happens when they're in the dungeons of life, in complete darkness at their lowest low, that they suddenly realize I'm not alone. I am not alone. There is a whole spiritual dimension to life. There is a, a shepherd for my soul. It's like that worship song that we sing here sometimes. The Lord is my shepherd. He goes before me. Bambi, help me with this. Take the lead. Defender behind me, I won't fail. Listen to the words. I'm filled with anointing. My cup's overflowing. No weapons can harm me. I won't fear. And the church joins in saying, Hallelujah. I am not alone. He's my comfort. Always holds me always guides me through mountains and valleys his joy is refreshing restores my soul mercy and goodness 
gives me assurance that I'll see his glory Jesus is trying to teach us. Being born physically, that's just being half alive. If you really want to live in the fullness of God, at some point on that journey, there has to be that spiritual awakening, that second birth. And, and when that second birth happens, the flat two-dimensional world suddenly becomes multi-dimensional. And, and I... I begin to experience wholeness and I realize that I am not alone. There is a shepherd for my soul. Where have you been all my life? That's what Jesus wanted for Nicodemus. Jesus wanted Nicodemus not to be trapped in rules but to know a close personal relationship with God. Not rule keeping but a close personal relation not religion but spirituality because you know there's such a difference and that's what Jesus wants for all of us and so now when I eat my food I almost never pray a formal prayer before I eat but somewhere as I'm eating almost inevitably my soul will spontaneously call out within me and say thank you God this is so good Thank you, Abba, because God is with me, providing for me. And when I see a beautiful sunset, something inside of me spontaneously calls out, my soul calls out to God and says, you are so beautiful. You delight my soul. And 10 years ago, one night when I waked up, uh, woke up in the middle of the night, sat upright and and was absolutely convinced that I was dying. It's a long story. I won't detour to tell you the whole story, but for a couple months, I'd been experiencing these strange physical symptoms, and the doctors were not coming up with a diagnosis, and I'd been in and out of the emergency room, feel good, feel bad, but I sit up in, in, in my bed in the middle of the night, and, and I'm convinced in the blur of that moment that this is it. I'm, I'm dying, and like Albert Sample from that primitive place inside of me I call out help me somebody help me and that's when I hear a voice not audibly like samples did but in my spirit like a, a message coming from outside of me so distinct it's like I was hearing it and the message said you are held in arms of everlasting love 
and that was enough. Live or die, you are held in arms of everlasting love. Hallelujah, I am not alone. I have a shepherd for my soul. And er years earlier, when I was 28, and about to come out to my parents and scared to death, after spending several years in study and prayer and discernment, I'd come to a place of peace that I was who God created me to be. And, and now it was time to, to be forthright with my family, but, but I had no idea how they would respond. They, they might reject me. I might lose my family. I'd written out the letter. This is back in the 80s before email, cell phones. I'd written out the letter, and I was going to mail it the next morning. But that night before, I, I took a walk under the starry sky, and I said, God, you know what I'm about to do, and there's no going back. I can't say, hey, I'm gay, and then say, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm not really. You can't turn back once you cross that bridge. So this was the designing moment. I said, God, you know what I'm about to do. I've prayed. I've thought. I've studied. I've tried to discern. If what I'm about to do is not what you want me to do, Here's one last chance. Speak if there's something you need to say to me. And I stopped, and I stood there in silence, and I looked up at the stars. And the message that came back to me as clear as an audible voice, though I didn't hear it audibly, this message from outside of me simply said, Jeff, I love you so much. And that's all I needed to hear. I was ready to speak my truth. And as the psalmist says, if my mother and father reject me, then the Lord will take me up. Hallelujah. I am not alone. There is a shepherd for my soul. That's what Jesus wants for us. Not a two-dimensional, isolated, flat life. Jesus wants us to be fully alive in God, to know the brilliance of the presence and the grace and the goodness and the beauty of God in our life. There's nothing like it. Nothing better. Nothing sweeter. Have you been born again? Do you want to live fully? But of course, that raises the question, how? How does this happen? Jesus tells us in our passage, it's what he says next. Though most preachers never talk about what Jesus says next, probably because what Jesus says is kind of surprising and for many, a little bit uncomfortable. But remember Zac Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, getting my Bible characters, can you? Remember, Nicodemus is asking Jesus, how does this work? Look what Jesus tells him. John 3, 8. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. And you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. You see what Jesus is saying there? In the first century when Jesus lived, the wind was a complete mystery to people. They knew it was real. They could feel it. They, one day the wind's coming from this direction, the next from this. They feel it. They know it's there. They don't know why. One day it blows with gusto, and the next day it's a quiet, gentle breeze. They know it's there. They, 
it was a complete mystery to them how the wind worked. So you see what Jesus is saying here, right? The way you and I experience spiritual awakening in our life, it's a mystery. It's a mystical miracle. And it's not going to be the same for every one of us. There's no set formula, no one size fits all. How people experience spiritual awakening in their life. For some people, that spiritual awakening comes during an altar call. For others, it's when they pray the sinner's prayer. For yet others, it's when they're up at the top of a tall tower and seeing the beauty of all of creation. For others, it's when they sit up in bed in the middle of night and think they're dying and realize that they are not alone no matter what. And for yet others, it's when they're in the lowest place in life and the darkness of a dungeon that they awaken to the presence of God in their life we want to diagram it out first you do this then you do this doesn't happen that way it's a miracle of God no one size fits all but but the last key point Jesus makes in this passage there is a common denominator a common element that runs through all of these born-again experiences. It's the last thing Jesus tells Nicodemus in this conversation, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So, you see what the common denominator is, right? Jesus. Those who believe in Jesus experience spiritual awakening. Jesus is the good shepherd that shows us the way. It's, it's as if, it's as if God has equipped our souls with receptors, receptors that are, are a satellite dish or maybe antenna. When we encounter Jesus through his words, through the stories about his life, when we encounter him in creation, when we sense his presence, there's an intuitive recognition reflex within us that says this is the one who can show me the way the truth and the life it's what was drawing Nicodemus to Jesus Colossians 2 9 says in Jesus dwells all the fullness of God bodily and you are complete in him that's what Nicodemus was sensing. And that's what we, when we encounter the beauty of Christ, there's something in us that says, this is the one who can show me the way. By the way, speaking of antenna receptors, did you hear about the two antennas that decided to get married? Those who were there say the wedding was okay but the reception was fabulous. <laughs> who, who is sassing back out there? I can't. Oh, Martha, enough, enough. The, the daddest of dad jokes. Hey, yes. <laughs> 
Take that, Jordan. <laughs> For those who are watching online, what Martha said is, we would drive past the cemetery, and my dad would say, do you know how many people are dead in there? The kids would say, no. Dad would say, all of them. <laughs> my joke wasn't that bad. But anyway, moving right along. <laughs> moving right along. It's as if our souls are equipped with receptors that intuitively recognize that Jesus represents to us the fullness of God and that in him we find our way. But Jeff, what does that mean then for people who never hear of Jesus? I, I, I get it. I understand that question. But remember, remember what Psalm 19.1 says. Look at it again. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge of God. Their voice goes out through where? All the earth. So creation is constantly telling everybody lots of information about God. And remember, the Bible also teaches us that Jesus was God's primary agent in creation. So, for example, John 1, 2 says the word. The word is a phrase that John uses to refer to Jesus. The word, Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of all people. So, when we experience the magnificence of creation, we're not just experiencing God the Father. We're experiencing also God the Son, God's primary agent in creation. So even without knowing his proper name, it is possible for people to know Jesus. Yes, it's helpful to know the full story, and we should share it freely. But even without knowing his proper name, it's possible to know, sense, and, and, and intuitively understand a great deal about who Jesus is as Son of God. You can see him in a baby's smile. You can see him in a mountain stream, in a puffy white cloud, in a budding rose. Jesus is everywhere. And, and when we encounter Jesus, we sense this is the way. And when we open ourselves to that, we begin to awaken spiritually. Let me close with this. Uh, back during the days of the Soviet Union in Russia, uh, atheism was the official policy, and so there was a good bit of art in the old Soviet Union that was irreligious and anti-religious a very popular Russian actor named Alexander Rostovsev was cast in a play called Christ in Tuxedo, which was meant to be a, a parody on Jesus, an irreverent play. There was to be a point in the play where Rostovsev would come out dressed in a robe like Jesus and open the Bible and read two verses 
from the Sermon on the Mount. Then he was to rip off his robe and shout, bring me my tuxedo and top hat and go into a song and dance routine. So Rostov makes his way out onto the stage at the appointed time and he opens up the gospel passage and in the mocking tone that was scripted, he begins to read the first of those two verses that he was to share. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But then he froze for a second, seemed ill at ease, because though he had practiced this verse many times in preparation for the play, in that moment, the power of those words somehow broke into his soul like a lightning strike. After pausing for a second, he read the second, the other appointed verse, but now in a very different tone. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And now they say he began to visibly tremble. He continued reading beyond where he was supposed to stop. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Other actors were gesturing him, move on, get back on script. The director wasn't sure what to do. The audience sensed something was gone terribly awry. He continues reading, Blessed are you when all people persecute you for my sake and the sake of the gospel, for thus so they also persecuted the prophets. At this point, the director had enough. The curtains come down. The play is prematurely over. As Rostovsev lifts his eyes to the sky and recites a verse he remembered from his Russian Orthodox days as a child. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The play was over. But for Alexander Rostovsev, new life, full life in God had just begun. It won't happen that way for all of us. For some of us, our spiritual awakening happens like that, like a lightning strike. But for others of us, that awakening is something that is more gradual and evolutionary, a slow awakening. My prayer is that for all of us, however it happens, however the wind blows in our life, my prayer is that all of us will someday come to that point where the light breaks through and we have that awakening and we recognize that Jesus is the good shepherd ready to show us the way. We live and move and have our being in God. Next, next week and next we'll dig a little bit deeper but we've got a good start for today. If something's stirring in your soul if you are being drawn by the beauty of Christ and you'd like to talk to somebody or pray with somebody at the end of this service, uh, Pastor Robert and Pastor David and Deacon Andrew will be up here at the front and you can pray with them or talk with them. Or if it's more comfortable for you, you can go to Life Journey Church slash links 
and there's, you'll find a response form there, and you just scroll down to where it says, I'm making a decision to become a follower of Jesus, or you can find the line that says, I have spiritual questions and would like to talk to a pastor, and we'll get in touch with you and schedule a time to talk. If something's stirring in your soul, open your heart to it. Don't live half a life. Don't live half alive. There is a whole other spiritual dimension waiting to be discovered. The fullness of God in life. Amen.